High Praise Podcasts. Hey everybody, this is Pastor Joshua, lead pastor here at High Praise, and I want to thank you for downloading today's podcast. We know that this message is going to encourage and bless you. So I want you to open up your heart and receive what the Lord has for you today. I want to minister a message entitled, Get Moving. Look at somebody say, Get Moving. Uh, 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 3, it says this, Now there were four leprous men at the entrance of the gate. Immediately a very familiar story for most of us. But there were four leprous men at the entrance of the gate, and they said to one another, Why are we sitting here until we die? If we say we will enter the city, the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we die also. Now, therefore, come, let us surrender to the army of the Syrians. If they keep us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us... We're only going to die. And they rose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. And when they had come to the outskirts of the Syrian camp, to their surprise, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the army of the Syrians to hear the noise of chariots and the noise of horses, the noise of a great army. So they said to one another, look, the king of Israel has hired against us the king of the Hittites and the king of the Egyptians to attack us. Therefore, they arose and fled at twilight and left the camp intact, their tents, their horses, and their donkeys, and they fled for their lives. And when these lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they went into one tent and ate and drank and carried from it silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. Then they came back and entered another tent and carried some from there also and went and hid it. Verse 9. A lot of times that's the only part. We kind of stop there in the story, but this story actually has some really great wisdom and revelation if we keep reading. So we're going to keep reading this in verse 9. Then they said to one another, we are not doing right. This day is a day of good news and we remain silent. If we wait until morning light, some punishment will come upon us. Now, therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. So they went and called to the gatekeepers of the city and told them, saying, We went to the Syrian camp, and surprisingly, no one was there, not a human sound, only horses and donkeys tied and tents intact. And the gatekeepers called out, and they told it to the king's household inside. So the king arose in the night and said to his servants, Let me now tell you what the Syrians have done to us. They know that we are hungry, therefore they have gone out of the camp to hide themselves in the field, saying, When they come out of the city, we shall catch them alive and get into the city. And one of his servants answered and said, Please let several men take five of the remaining horses which are left in the city. Look, they may either become like all the multitude of Israel that are left in it, or indeed, I say, they may become like all the multitude of Israel left from those who are consumed. So let us send and send them and see. In other words, what's the worst that can happen if we send some guys to go check out and see what's happening? Verse 14, therefore they took two chariots with horses and the king sent them in the direction of the Syrian army saying, go and see. And they went after them to the Jordan and indeed all the road was full of garments and weapons which the Syrians had thrown away in their haste. So the messengers returned and told the king, then the people went out and plundered the tents of the Syrians. So a sea of fine flour was sold for a shekel and two seas of barley for a shekel according to the word of the Lord. Now the king had appointed the officer on whose hand he leaned to have charge of the gate. But the people trampled him in the gate and he died just as the man of God had said, who spoke when the king came down to him. So it happened just as the man of God had spoken to the king, saying, Two seahs of barley for a shekel and a seah of fine flour for a shekel shall be sold tomorrow about this time in the gate of Samaria. Then that officer answered the man of God and said, Now look, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, could such a thing be? Stop there. Very familiar story, very familiar passage of scripture, but there's so much truth in this. And I really want to bring out a few things to us just to encourage us in this season and in this time. 
Uh, we really are, and I may talk about this some in the next coming weeks even, we really are living in times that could be very much defined as perilous. It, it doesn't take a rocket scientist or anyone of great wisdom. All you have to do is turn on the news and realize there's a lot of crazy stuff going on, right? There's a lot of terrible things. There's a lot of evil things. Uh, society has problems, which let me just say this, though, in the middle of me saying that, let me also just say this. Uh, things, because I've, I've actually heard this said several times over the course of this week. People have said things like, the world is worse than it's ever been. And there are terrible things happening in the world today, but the world is not worse than it's ever been. And by the way, I believe for breakthrough and revival and great light and turnaround to happen in culture, not for things to just keep getting worse. Can somebody say Amen. You know why we can believe that? Because we have an answer and his name is Jesus. And Jesus is the light of the world and light dispels darkness, period. So when people, when people just proclaim doom and calamity and things are just going to get worse, my God says something completely different than that. But the reality is we would be lying if we didn't say there are a lot of wild and crazy and terrible things happening in the world. We live in a tough day and a tough time and a tough hour. And when we're introduced to these men in the narrative of scripture, they are in a very, very tough situation. Their situation is incredibly dire. They have leprosy. Leprosy, as I'm sure you're aware, is this flesh-eating disease that makes them outsiders from their own nation makes them the outcast. It makes them the leftovers. It's the people that nobody is even under law allowed to be around. These guys are in a bad spot. They'd be separated to be put out from the city. They could have no contact. That alone is bad, but it gets even worse. Their nation is also in utter decay. There's famine in the land. Famine has struck. There's no food. As a matter of fact, if you actually go back in 2 Kings 6, it talks about donkey heads being sold for food. Now listen, we're going to eat some stuff that might be a little bit wild on Sunday night. But I promise you, donkey head is not on the menu. Some of you might be disappointed, but it is not on the menu. And not only are they eating, and they're eating the heads of donkeys, but actually it talks about what they're being sold for. And if you, if you do some rough math to equate that into what it would be in a modern, uh, modern currency of, of, of USD, a, a donkey's head was being sold for roughly the equivalent of a thousand US dollars today. You thought your grocery bill was bad and inflation was taking a bite out of your wallet. Imagine buying a donkey's head for a thousand dollars. Not only that, it's so desperate, it literally tells us they're eating their own children. Like this is a horrific, terrible, horrible situation to be here in, and you have leprosy, and you're under siege. And there's an enemy that's coming in, the Syrians, who are not your friends and who would gladly kill you. These guys literally have nothing going for them in life. If you ever want to feel like you've got things going for you, read the story of the four lepers and you will feel like you have won the lottery and you are living in perfect peace. Because these dudes have it rough. It is a terrible Situation. They are, they are stuck between a rock and a hard place, and they have broken legs. 
right? This is, there is no good way for them to go. There is no silver lining in the cloud. There is no, it might get better tomorrow. There is no hope that they have for their situation to get any better. Destruction on all sides and seemingly no way out, no path to victory. Things are just going to get worse. You ever felt like you've been in that situation before? Where you feel like all, it's all around you, it is dire, right? If it could, if it, it, you, you feel like, you remember, you remember the, the old cartoons like Charlie Brown and stuff where somebody would be walking around and they'd be having a bad day and there'd be the rain cloud that would only follow them. Sunshine everywhere else, but right over their head, just raining. Y'all know what I'm talking about? You ever felt like that person before? That it felt like no matter where you went, it bad just followed you, right? No matter what was going on, things did not go your way. I know especially in the middle of the hurricane, now we can look back now and we can... Uh, and we're going to hear a lot of testimonies and we know a lot of testimonies of things that God's done for people and how great and powerful and mighty it's been. But let's be real. How many of you on October 11th of 2018 felt like there was no good outcome that could possibly come from the situation and what you were facing? Let's just be real. Probably the majority of you that were in here and, and, and that were here during the storm, you very much, matter of fact, a lot of y'all on October 10th thought there was going to be no outcome if you were still here because you thought you were probably weren't going to see October 11th. Anybody remember that? Right? It was rough. And thankfully, God has restored, and we can look on the other side, and we're going to get to this, that no matter how desperate the situation is, your story is not finished as long as you begin to move. It doesn't matter what things look like in the natural, and if you can't see the outcome, and if you can't see victory, and if you can't see the silver lining, and you can't see anything good, listen, the only thing you've got to do is start moving. The only thing that you have to do is make a decision that you refuse to wallow in the situation that you are in. You can't live in defeat whenever you're called to victory. You can't live outside the gate whenever you're called to be inside the gate. You can't live with broken legs refusing to move when God's called you to progress forward. Everybody else may, I'll just go and say, everybody else in the world may be choosing to, which, to, to, to just participate in the soft recession or the silent recession or whatever you want to call it, which by the way, it, Disney World hasn't caught up on the fact that there's a recession in their attendance because I was just there. There's eight bajillion thousand people there. But the reality is everybody else may choose to participate in that, but I, I don't live under the economy of man. I'm going to say it again. I don't live under the economy of man. I, I, and, and you don't either. If you're part of the kingdom, you're part of an economy that's greater than any natural economy, any U.S. economy, any national tumult or what may be going on or what may be being talked about. And I know that there's all kind of people talking about all kind of things that could happen in the next six months. And you know what? I'm living in peace. You know why? Because he will keep those in perfect peace whose mind has stayed on him. I'm not concentrating. And it doesn't mean we stick our head in the sand and ignore and don't pray. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm not going to live in worry and anxiety and fear and trepidation, no matter what the talking heads may say, no matter what the images may be, I'm going to stay in perfect peace. You know why? Because I'm not driven by what happens on the news. I'm driven by what he's already said over my life. And my hope isn't in a, isn't in a Congress and my hope isn't in wall street. 
And my hope isn't in a president. And my hope isn't in any of this. My hope is in King Jesus. Sometimes I think we need to go back. Was it Washington who said? It may not be Washington. Who said that we have no sovereign but God and no king but John Adams. We have no sovereign but God and no king but Jesus. I think the American church sometimes needs to wake up to that reality again and again. That we have no sovereign but God and no king but Jesus. He's who my faith and my trust is in. I don't care what anybody else says. That's what my faith and my hope is in. Not in a man. Not in a woman. Not in my job. Not in my 401k. Not in my stock options. My hope is in him. And by the way, he lives in a place where the streets are paved with gold. And where the walls are jasper. And where he will supply all my needs according to his riches in glory, which are unending. He shall supply all my needs. Y'all are Some of y'all are struggling with this, right? Y'all been listening to too much TV this week. He shall supply all my needs according to his riches in glory, not according to what happens in, the, in, 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 in Wall Street or what happens in, in the middle of the recession or a boom or whatever it might be. Y'all with me? I'm not, I, don't, I don't get excited when there's like, some of y'all do. And that's, if you do, that's fine. Stock market's up. Great. Guess what? That means it's probably going to come down. Stock market's down. Well, guess what? That means it's probably going to go up at some point. I'm not going to live. I'm not, I'm not basing my hope based on what the line does, what the Dow Jones 500 does. That's not what my peace is in. My peace is in him. So these men, they're in this terrible situation, and, and we've all felt like we've been in that situation probably at some point. And, and you know how most of us react when we're in these situations? We don't stand in faith. The first thing we do more often than not is we complain. Can we just be real? We talk about how bad the situation is. We blame God. We sit idly and we just wait for the worst to happen. Right? That's what people do all the time. But you have to make that choice. Are you going to sit and die? Or are you going to do something? Are you going to sit and die? Or are you going to do something? And I'm, just, I'm in a place in my life where I just refuse to accept destruction. I refuse to sit idly by and die. Why sit here till we die? If I'm going to go down, I'm going to at least go down swinging. Y'all with me? I'm not going to go down without going down swinging. And just maybe we'll see a breakthrough. I know it may look dire and your brain may feel like there's no chance. But I'm going to push and push and push until there is no opportunity to push any longer. And maybe, just maybe, just maybe, just maybe we'll see breakthrough. Have you got any Miami fans in the house tonight? Miami Hurricane fans? Couple, okay. I'm sorry. Anybody watch the game on Saturday night? Yeah. All right. My dad's a Noel fan. That's why he was really. If you didn't see the game on Saturday, first of all, if you're a Miami fan, you should want your entire coaching staff fired yesterday. But Miami had the ball. They were up by what were they by three or four over Georgia Tech. Three. They were up three points over Georgia Tech. They had the ball, and all Miami had to do was line up in victory formation. Y'all know what victory formation is, right? It's where they all line up real close. Quarterback takes the ball and he takes a knee and the clock runs. And all they had to do was take one more knee. One knee. And that clock was going to run to double zeros and Miami was going to win the game. And whenever you're in that situation, if you're the opponent, 
it's really easy to just be like, whatever, and not even play through the play. Right, the game's over. But Miami decided instead of taking a knee that they were going to run the ball. And a Georgia Tech player said, why sit here till we die? I'm being for real. He said, why sit here till we die? And he reached in and he ripped the ball out of the Miami player's hands. And Miami, I mean, Georgia Tech recovered the ball with like 40 seconds left in the game. Ran about four plays, went right down the field and scored a touchdown as time expired to win the game. Literally, if you look on the ESPN metrics, with like 40 seconds left in the game, they had Miami's win probability at 99.9%. 99.9%. If you are Georgia Tech, your probability of winning that game can't be any closer to zero without just being zero. I'm going somewhere with this. I'm not, just, I'm not just gloating as a Florida State fan over how <laughs> glorious this was. I literally saw it, and I, Miranda had just gotten out of the shower, and I walked in our bathroom and said, babe, you have got to come see this. And uh, I'm going somewhere with this. You may feel like there is a 99.9 win percent win probability for the situation that you're facing against you. But until the clock hits zero, you gotta play through and you gotta keep pushing and you gotta keep going and you can't quit because all it takes is a moment for the tide to turn in your favor. And a lot of times we feel like we've been defeated, but what has felt like defeat is just a setup for your comeback. It is just a setup for your miracle. It is just a setup for your greatest turnaround. We've seen that. We saw this with Hurricane Michael, right? It looked like it was dire, even for the church. I mean, even, even with everything God has done, the reality is literally overnight, overnight, 30 to 40% of the church was gone because people moved because they didn't have houses. They didn't have anywhere to stay. They were ready to go. The military shipped everybody out overnight. 30, 40% of the church was gone. But you know what? In the middle of that, God gave us one of the greatest financial miracles and breakthroughs we've ever had. So it might look dire. It might look bad, but you're not at 0% yet. You still got a 0.1% chance of victory. You better start ripping at the ball. Don't sit there and allow yourself to die. You keep going. I'm not going to sit by and accept destruction. If I'm going down, we're going to go down with a fight, right? In my financial situation, I'm going to get moving. In your family situation, you got to get moving. In your health, you got to get moving. Don't sit and simply wait to die. Why accept the diagnosis? Why confine yourself to defeat? Well, you know Josiah's story and how he was born early and God did a miracle. But even after his miracle of being resurrected in the, in the delivery room, nurses told us and great people with great hearts and they were diagnosing by what they see. I don't fault them one iota, but they told us they're like, he was going to struggle his whole life. He's always going to be small. He's probably going to be in here for a long time. He's going to have the, the, the list of issues he's going to have is incredibly long. If you've seen Josiah, he is as big as I am and he is 14 years old. 
he has a size 13 foot. I'm not just going to accept what somebody says because it's what they say, especially when God has said something greater and better. Right? I don't care what the prognosis of man is. God has a better diagnosis over your life. We don't just accept what the enemy says. We don't accept the, even the report of man. Right? We believe the report of the Lord. And I want to prophesy over you that your family situation is not over. Your financial situation is not over. Your health situation is not over. Your peace and anxiety situation is not over. You with me? Your marriage is not over. But you really have to believe it. Because if you really believe it, if you believe what God is saying and has said, you'll refuse to accept anything other than what he's declared and what he's saying. Beginning to move like these men did requires faith. And let's just be honest. Many people would rather accept destruction than exercise faith. We even, we even use that term, exercising faith. You know what we do? Because faith requires you doing something. Exercise requires you doing something. Listen, if exercise was sitting on the couch, there'd be some fit people in this room. But exercise requires you to move. It requires you to do something. It requires activity from you. And that's why a lot of people would rather just sit idly by and accept what the enemy's doing rather than exercise their faith because they don't want to do anything. Sometimes they don't want to do anything because they've done things before and they haven't seen the outcome they desired. But you know what you do? You get up and you do it again. You get up and you keep moving. Beginning to move requires faith, but you can't, you can't say you have faith and be idle. Throw up, throw up James 2. You guys have that? James 2, 14. Y'all have that on the screens? James chapter 2, 14. There it goes. It says this, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says that he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? Now jump down to verse 18. It says this, But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. I'm going to read that again. Someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O oh foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which says Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Verse 25, likewise was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? Let me put it to you this way. We have a lot of confessors and not enough doers. There are a lot of people that know how to say the word and they know the right rhetoric and they speak enough Christianese that they can say the right thing, but their actions don't match up what, with what they say. And James here is saying, listen, you're going to be able to look at what I'm doing and see the faith that I'm walking in. The greatest people of faith are not people who just talk about faith all the time. They're people who live in faith by what they're doing. 
They're the people who move. They're the people who step out of the boat. They're the people that when everything looks contrary, they refuse to accept what's going on. And not just by what they say, by what they do. They're the people that whenever everybody else is screaming recession, they go, I'm going to give more than I was giving before. They're the people that when everybody else is speaking condemnation over their marriage, that they're the ones who are still loving their spouses. They're the ones that when everybody else is cursing their kids and the next generation, that they're building them up and building a platform for them rather than just talking about how terrible they are. There are people who move and not just say. Y'all have heard me say before, talk is cheap, right? And Christians sometimes can be some of the worst in the world about talking the big game but not living the game. They're the people who smack talk and smack talk and smack talk, but then they can't do it. There, there was a, years and years ago, there was a, I don't remember who the player was, Marcus, one of the guys might remember, but there was, there was a player who got drafted. I think, I think it was by the, the, Bob, the Bobcats or the Hornets, whichever what they were at the time, when Jordan, when MJ was one of the owners of the franchise, retired for a long time at that point. And one of these dudes started talking about how, you know, he could just take Michael Jordan. So rookie. First of all, Jordan had been retired for years, so it's already something that's like not, probably not a great flex. But he's talking about how he could take them. And he got, we're going back to Jordan. And Jordan laced them up. Met him out on the practice court and schooled him, even as a dude in his 40s against a dude who was probably 20, 21 years old. What am I saying? You can talk about how great you are all you want. What are you doing? You can talk about your faith till the cows come home, but are you living it? You can talk about what's going to happen and what God's going to do, but what are you doing to work the word? You can talk about how you're going to see your, your workplace come to Jesus. Well, are you living your faith out loud in front of people? You can talk about how God's going to bring your kids to Jesus. Well, are you living your faith in front of them? Or are you compromising and laying it down whenever you're around them because you don't want them to think anything ill of you? Y'all with me? Simply believing in what you want isn't enough. Your believing has to transfer to action. These men didn't just sit there and go, well, you know, if God wants to do something, he's just going to do it, so we're just going to sit here. They said, why sit here till we die? We're going to get up and we're going to do something different. We're going to begin to move. Listen, you can have enough prophetic words to fill a hard drive and enough of them transcribed to fill a notebook. But unless you begin to move, nothing's going to change. Unless you do something, I, can I just be honest? I'm gonna get it's Wednesday night. I can be real transparent. I, I get really tired of prophetic people sometimes that just want another word. What are you doing with the words you got, man? What, what are you doing with God's already said over your life? Another word isn't gonna fix your situation necessarily. You know what is gonna fix your situation? Doing something with the word you have. Right? Putting in action what God's already given you. You're gonna be a financier of the kingdom, but you can't pay your bills. Another word is not gonna help you pay your bills. Get a job. Well, praise God. Get a second job if you need to. That's right. Some people complain about their situation and it never goes anywhere. Others confess the word and that's a great start. We need to confess the word. I don't want you to misunderstand anything I'm saying tonight. We need to confess the word. Amen. I believe that death and life are in the power of the tongue and those that love it will eat the fruit thereof. I believe that what we say has power. But listen, one of the things that what you confess... Part of the power of that should be is to get your butt up and do something. Right. 
It should compel you to action. It should stir something within you to begin to move. I, I just believe we're in a season where we can't have lazy believers anymore. Because your action is what moves heaven. Far too often we are waiting for God to move, but God is waiting for us to be faithful and step out. You notice this in this story. With these guys, they go, what's the worst that could happen? We have leprosy. People are eating babies. And there's an army that's invading. What else could go wrong? Situation can't get any more jacked up than it is. Why sit here? And they begin to change something. They begin to shift their position. If you would spiritually just begin to shift your positioning from victim to victor, you'd be amazed at what would transpire. If you just shifted what you thought about yourself and about what God wanted to do, right? God isn't trying to teach you something through your situation. He wants to bring you through the situation God's not using suffering to teach you something. God's not using calamity to teach you something. If you haven't realized it yet, God didn't send Hurricane Michael to teach you something. Right? God didn't send Hurricane Michael to bring blessing. God brought blessing in the midst of it because God will always take what the enemy meant for evil and turn it and work it for your good. But God doesn't send destruction and calamity upon his people. He doesn't do it. That would, we're going we're gonna to teach on this at some point. Because I, I, think, I think we have such a warped perspective in the church on who God is and his goodness. It, it, would, be a, it would be a terrible father, right? In the natural, we would consider it a terrible father. Imagine if, imagine if my dad... We had some sort of disagreement and he came to my house and he got up on the roof and blasted a hole in the roof to teach me something. What would we call that? Abusive? How about this one? Crazy? Illegal? Yet for some reason, we ascribe these same things to God. Well, God just brought that just to teach us something and to teach us perseverance and patience and peace to it. God doesn't do that. That would literally make you better than God because you wouldn't do that to your kids. Then why in the world would God do it to his kids? And he says this, he, he says that he, he tells us, Jesus tells us that he's a lot better than we are. Jesus tells us the father is a lot better then we are, if you being evil desire good things for your children, how much more so does your heavenly father desire to give good things to his children, right? So why in the world do we think God's trying to teach us something through destruction, through devastation? Now, does, does, now hear, hear me, we can learn in the middle of it, but God didn't send it to teach you. Sickness is not your teacher, the Holy Spirit is. Destruction is not your teacher, the Holy Spirit is. And by the way, there's not water spirits and mermaid spirits and this, that, and the other that God's trying to get rid of. I literally heard that after several months. There's mermaid spirits. God needed to route out. What? Put down the Little Mermaid movie. Calm down. God doesn't need to use a hurricane to route mermaid spirits. Ridiculousness. Ariel's fake. It's fiction. That's right. Don't need to cast the devils out of your air vents in your house. That's another one I heard recently. 
So what happens? These guys begin to move, and their movement moved God. Your movement moves God. You may seem small on your own, but when you begin to step out in faith, your effect is multiplied. You may be one mama who's believing, but when you move in faith, you're greater than what you seem that you are. Right? You may be one mom and dad who are standing in faith. You may be a husband who's standing for a wayward wife, a wife who's standing for a wayward husband. You may be somebody who's just one person on your job who's believing for breakthrough so you can keep your job and get promoted. But listen, you may feel like you're insignificant, but you are not insignificant when you move in faith because it's not just you who's moving, but God begins to move when you move. God responds whenever we begin to move. God amplifies your effect when you begin to take action. Romans 8, 31, if God be for us, then who can be against us? When you move, nothing can stop you. Your movement has a fallout <laughs> that begins to affect others. Because that's what ends up happening if you actually, if you actually, I don't have time to dig deep into it, but if you actually study it out, the very end of that, what you actually see happening is when it talks about how what's being bought and sold there at the end that the prophet prophesied. Basically, remember how in, I said in the, in the chapter before, it talks about how donkey heads are being sold for this absorbent amount. Then he tells, tells us how this is being sold for that. And what it is, is it's the economy actually stabilizing. Is actually what's happening. So listen, the effect that these, these, these leprous men had, it didn't just impact them. It impacted their entire city whenever they stepped out in faith. You don't know the fallout of your action. And you don't know what you stepping out, how that begins to impact others. Whenever you begin to say, God, I'm just going to live in faith. And not just in what I'm going to pray, but what I'm going to do. What I'm going to do. What I'm going to take a step when it seems like it doesn't make any sense. How it begins to shift things. Come on, wit, and change things. Why sit here till you die? It's time to move. It's time to shift. It's time for God to let God begin to do things. And listen, that's, we really are in a, have been and are in a season of, of movement just as a church body, right? Of activity, of God doing things, of things shifting, of things moving and, and changing all for good. And there's, like we said, there's a big announcement, awesome announcement on Sunday. Everybody's going to be excited about. God's doing great and powerful and mighty things. And whenever you begin to move, things may not look like they did before, but that's okay because God's going to move in great and powerful and mighty ways, and it's going to be better. It's going to be better. I said it's going to be better, and it's going to be the fulfillment of every promise that God gave you. I, I Listen, I know whenever we talk about shalom and we talk about restoration that we immediately think about people's homes and businesses and all of that being restored. And we say, yes, amen, praise God. But can I say that I believe that even what we're experiencing right now and what God's doing in this church and what he's getting ready to do through this church is part of the shalam season that we are still in where God is restoring and doing a new thing and doing something to expand, doing something to reach further than we've reached before, to do things we've never done before, to see fruit that we've never seen before, to see harvests that we've never seen before, to see breakthrough that we've never seen before, because we're gonna move in faith. We stand up to your feet. 
Thanks again for downloading this podcast. We trust that this message has blessed, encouraged, and edified you. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss a message here from High Praise. Also, you can follow us on social media, on Facebook, and on Instagram. And don't forget to go subscribe to our YouTube channel. We'll be back soon with another incredible message. God bless you and have a great week.